Welcome back in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. He is Sean Fitz. I am Tyler Donahue, and things are taking shape for Penn State for this Saturday and for the summer. Got a lot to get to here on a fresh episode. Uh, we're going to come to you this weekend as well. That's the plan. Uh, Sean and myself both back in Beaver Stadium. I think this is Sean's first time back in the stadium since 2019. So um, looking forward to, to seeing what is being described as predominantly a Penn State practice with some scrimmage action. Certainly not the blue-white game setup that we have become accustomed to, but it will be nice to see players on the field. It will be nice to see some fans in the seats. And it will be nice to be back in that press box. And, and, and Sean, we, we will get to that in a moment. We have a lot to talk about, some takeaways from, from conversations that we have had over the course of the week. Freshmen getting a ton of praise. Um, a, a wide receiver out there making some big-time plays. And also uh, an update on the running back room, including an injury uh, update on Noah Kane. But we'll start with the plans that are coming together for the summer because we've discussed the official visit aspect of this and the weekends that are getting loaded up for June. Sean, eight camps now on the schedule for June and July for Penn State. That was revealed Tuesday evening, and uh, you know you just hope that can come to fruition. It's something that they've been working on for a while because when that June 1st date opens up, um, it's going to be – I'm not going to call it the Wild West, but it's going to be a mad scramble to get kids to campus – not just for the official visits, which are basically what we've centered on in the last couple of weeks on the podcast talking about, but also unofficial visits, but also camps. And, and, and this is a big step forward. What, uh, what the rule is with camps is you get 10 days in June and July to have camps, to have evaluation opportunities. And that includes things like, um, James Franklin going to Lauren's first and goal camp up in Lafayette. And it just all these things where if you're, if you're watching somebody, watching somebody work out, evaluating somebody, it counts as a day. So back in, you know, the olden times in 2019, 2018, when they went on the road for camps, if you were doing a camp in, in, in Miami, you know, it was, it, it counted as a day. If you're doing one in Atlanta, it counted as a day. So you didn't have as many on-campus camps. Now you've got eight in June and July. That's a lot. But at the same time, given the circumstances surrounding coach travel and, and, and things of that nature, it's really something that they have to do. So uh, it, it's done with a purpose. If you look at the schedule, um, you, you know, the, the, they have those official visits and there's such a priority for the staff to bring in those guys on the weekend and Friday and Saturday and, you know, uh, wine them and dine them and do whatever uh, they do on these official visits and try and sell them and then get back to camp on Sunday. So it's a little bit different. It used to be uh, sometimes it would be a Saturday, Sunday. Sometimes it'd be a Friday night and a Saturday morning, something like that. So um, they, they've done a nice job of positioning themselves to get the most out of June. Um, so, you know, you bring kids in on Friday for a camp or uh, Friday afternoon for a camp. Then you bring the guys in Friday evening for an official visit, keep them over Saturday, have them get out Sunday morning and then run a camp on Sunday afternoon. It's a it's it's a bit of a grind for for the coaches and the administration, uh, the, the administrative staff there in the football building. But you, you got to do what you got to do. You got to make up for lost time. And that's really what they're trying to do. Yeah, six of these eight camps are scheduled for June. You're looking at four consecutive Sundays with something on the practice field for Penn State. To your point, uh, each of those will be preceded by Saturdays and Fridays of official visits of different varieties, top targets, commitments coming to campus. Uh, some of those guys certainly going to be part uh, partaking in camps along the way. When you look at this this recruiting class, a guy like Bo Perbula was on this podcast discussing his excitement to get to work with Mike Yursich on the practice field, uh, you know, 
know, be able to go face to face with a lot of these uh, fellow fellow future teammates that they haven't met and haven't gathered to this point. One of these events is the seven on seven passing camp and big man challenge. That's always a, a huge event. I'm not sure if it will be as large this, this this summer as it has been in the past, but that's one that routinely draws a lot of talent to campus. You got to cover a lot of ground when you're covering that one and doing what we do. Um, and then you work your way. And this was new. I had a text to. I said, "Is this been on the books before?" July 30th, the the eighth and final camp here. And by the way, there's a specialist camp, not to be overlooked. It's a, uh, often a spot where Penn State has identified guys are willing to invest a scholarship in at punter, at kicker. Um, but July 30th is one that drew my attention. Beast of the East Showcase. Um, that's the one I had to say. Is this something that that I missed in the past? The, the, I don't know what the, all the elite elite showcase, um, underclass showcase, Beast of the East Showcase. Figuring out what that all means, uh, we'll see. But Beast of the East Showcase is new. It's it's marketing is what it is. I mean, <laughs> they used to have these uh, freshman underclassmen showcases and things like that. Or sorry, not freshmen, but the underclassmen showcase and. Uh, the whiteout camp, etc. So you're trying to dress it up a little bit, get some guys in there that you want to get in. If, if you look at July, that's a Friday camp, which I assume will be a Friday night. Saturday is going to be the Lash Bash. So you want to get these big time guys in that you know that are in the region that are going to come up and check things things out. And this is also after that window opens. If if the dead period holds true in July, it's also going to be right after the window. So the important ones here. You mentioned that team camp right before the uh, the the window slams shut in the at the end of June. Well, get those guys in there, leave a good lasting impression. It's kind of the the same on the other end. You want to make a good first impression at the end of July. So uh, I think that's one that you know you maybe circle is is okay. Let's get the the I don't want to say the top guys here, but let's get the guys in here that that, that are going to cause some ripples here. Maybe some underclassmen that are very good. And I think that's really the direction that you can go to because not only is it a great first impression coming out of that dead period, but that dead period starts again in August as as uh, camp opens and, and these coaches get into preseason preparation. So it's just a brief little window there where you want to make the most of your opportunities. A, a big camp can do that. A, uh, an event like the Lash Bash is certainly something that they've leaned on the last couple of years, and I, that's pretty much how they're trying to make it happen. Yeah, that, that seems like the sweet spot on the schedule, the way the recruiting calendar is set up right now, the way the Penn State staff is going to have to handle their business because you're going to have that Friday evening camp that we anticipate. You're going to have the Saturday lash bash and what that will look like compared to 2018, 2019 and before. We'll find out soon, but very clearly it's been an effective event for Penn State on the recruiting trail. And then I would guess, Sean, within a week of that, we'll be talking to James Franklin about the start of preseason training camp in August. So you're, you're kind of moving right on with it. And uh, so, you know, the opportunity here for eight camps, um, guys like Phil Troutwine, uh, Taylor Stubblefield, John Scott Jr., Mike Yursich is their first chance to get on this Penn State practice field, have prospects in front of them. Um, I, I, there's a lot of excitement, but, but Franklin also acknowledged there are still some uncertainties. Uh, we have to address that with the NCAA. We, we can't act like we know exactly what the NCAA is going to determine life looks like for, for college football recruiters after May, but we know that things are training in a good direction. But this is going to be a challenge. James Franklin used the, the phrase challenge a few times when I asked him about how June and July sets up. There's a lot to, to accomplish, but there is a, 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 a quite the path to get from where we are now and talking about how exciting it is that all this stuff is back to getting to the end of July and saying, you maximize the situation. Well, you're trying to gain attention from players. You're trying to keep attention, which is sometimes harder than, than gaining attention. So 
these guys that you're hosting in June 11th or whatever, they probably have other visits lined up for the rest of June and possibly, um, you know, into, into the season. So you got to put, you make that great first impression and hope it holds and continue to chip away and chip away and do what you've got to do to get, get those guys in the boat. So, uh, there's, I don't think there's any perfect, uh, approach to it. I mean, I'm not sure what Alabama's doing right now. I'm not sure what Ohio state is doing. It's obviously a little bit easier for programs like that to, uh, to sort of get kids to buy into what they're, they're they're trying to do, but at the same time, I think they've they've done a nice job in terms of researching how much uh, how much of an impact they can have on these players and and what kind of lasting impression you leave. You notice the first weekend there there's just one. If you check out our official visit tracker on Lions twenty four seven, there's just that one visit with uh, Ryan Brubaker set up. I think that's a little bit by design. So some of these guys are going to go check out schools that first weekend of June and then, you know, sort of settle in and, and realize how things uh, kind, kind of how things go. And that's uh, what you're looking at with the the 11th and the 18th, which are obviously the big weekends. The 25th is uh, the, the big commit weekend, but also, you know, they're going to have some, un, uh, excuse me, some uncommitted prospects uh, doing their thing that weekend as well. So it's, uh, I was going to say, there's no perfect formula. There's no right answer because that, that's something we won't know until after this happens. But you can have, uh, I, I just, they're going to be really busy, man. You inve- you were very busy on Tuesday. You invested your entire day uh, in putting together that official visit tracker because there are just a ton that's a, of There's a lot of words, yeah. man. <laughs> Which is up right now on Lions 24-7. We will keep that updated, but go check that out. Uh, Sean went weekend by weekend, visitor by visitor, and there are just a lot of names. There's a lot of blue chip talent that plans on being on campus when they can be finally. And my, and there's already some changes and some additions, already though, some so check it out. And not, there certainly will continue to be some shuffling, I would imagine. I, I wanted to, just before we turn attention away from the camps, what's your anticipation during those 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 two months? Do you think we're going to see a, a larger volume of new scholarship offers than we normally would for summer camp period with Penn State because it has been such a long time since they've seen guys? Maybe some off-the-radar guys are going to show up to camp and impress um, or, you know, do you think Penn State will play it conservative? Uh, I'm really curious because I just have to imagine the board for 2022 and the board for 2023 are going to undergo some immense adjustments as guys get added and guys get elevated. And let's face it, guys get dropped because you have measurements on them. You have some verified things. And quite frankly, you're running them through drills at the position that you think they can play. And maybe you find out it ain't going to happen at this level. To, to me, the, the interesting thing here is, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, is those potential evaluation days where you bring guys in for officials or unofficials and get them and work them out. It doesn't count as a camp day, but it's basically a camp workout to see how they move, see how they run. If you want to test them, test them, all that kind of stuff. So until that happens, it's hard to answer your question because I think that can have the biggest, uh, the biggest impact on scholarship offers in terms of giving them out, in terms of, uh, certifying them, if you, if you know what I mean. Uh, so I, I don't think that we see a, a rush of offers. If we do, it's probably 2023, 2024 kind of business as usual in terms of camps and getting those guys out there and seeing their measurements and seeing how they run and things like that. With 2022, you kind of got to balance 
what you have in the boat right now. And there's, you know, more commits right now than there were, uh, well, two years ago, whenever we, we did this last. So, um, you got to balance what you've got in the boat versus what's out there. So it, it wouldn't shock me to see some guys come along. Yeah. A guy like it, it, you could find a guy in a position like Tyler Elsden was a couple of years ago where you obviously have a need there, but, and it's, this kid is a power five prospect, uh, you know, all the way, but maybe you just want to see a couple of things from him. Uh, a guy like J.R. Strauss out of Exeter is probably a guy, uh, that, that you can line up with in this Elston type mold and see if they can fit into what you're trying to do. So you got to find those guys. You got to convince them to come to camp, which is not easy, especially for a guy like Elston who had power five options. You know, that was a really harder decision than, than it would be in hindsight. Um, he had but to come back, he had to come twice. Yeah. He had to, to come to twice. So, yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking to guys who you think are, you know, Maybe they have a West Virginia offer. You know, Elsden was was probably going to West Virginia before this. Maybe they have a, other regional offers, and, and these kids are thinking, okay, well, I, you know, I think I'm pretty good with my offer list. I don't need to go to camp or anything like that. And then all of a sudden, you got to probably write them off. But that that's a tough dis, uh, discussion to have. We saw this with the uh, the the virtual combine. Is you know, kids are almost insulted at that now. The right coaches will get to them and tell them, or the, the the high school coaches or whomever may be around them will get to them and say, "Hey, this is just this is something you got to do." And the smart ones will take them up on it. Some some other guys will get offended by it and not not have it, and then might be the last you hear from them. So that's kind of the interesting line that you have to walk. But I do think they will be, especially after not having camps last year, they'll be more open to checking things out and to getting back to it, getting back to competing. I mean, that's a thing that you know some of these guys didn't have seasons. Especially Especially up in the New England area, Northeast. So getting out there competing. I know I've talked to coaches who are just so excited to get their kids back to camps, not just to get them exposure, but to get them competing and to get them going for, you know, their junior or senior seasons, whatever's coming up. So I think that that's probably the interesting part here is these guys are, a lot of these guys are ready to go. Might be a couple that, you know, maybe go by the wayside, but a lot of these guys are ready to go. And I think you see some good, and I, I'm not sure what the protocols are going to be for health and in, in terms of how this is all all going to work out with uh, with the players, but I think there's going to be a general interest in these camps that's probably exceeds exceeds what we saw a couple of years ago. And you know where to find the coverage of these camps right here at lines247.com. We look forward to it. It's been too long, and I'm, I just think back to the last time we were covering these summer events. Guys like Anthony Ivy, Makai Flowers were coming to campus showing what they had before their sophomore years, ultimately really early on becoming priorities for Penn State, leading to eventual commitments. And that's the groundwork you can lay with, with guys who are still very early in the high school career. Quite frankly, guys who maybe haven't played much varsity football because of what happened last year. Uh, there's going to be an opportunity. And by the way, exposure works both ways. Some of these guys who carry some clout on the recruiting trail right now, they're going to go to some camps and they're going to linger in the back of lines. They're not going to be starving for reps and they're going to get exposed in a negative way. Whereas there's going to be guys that don't even have a 24-7 sports profile right now and might be a high school junior who, you know, we're talking about them at the end of the summer as, as power five targets across the landscape. Yeah. And we don't like to discuss that because it, you know, involves dropping ratings and everything like that. But the, the ratings, I think, uh, the rankings and everything like that this, this year, as we get out and see some of these guys, as we so get out get and get rocked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's be honest with you. I, like I said, don't get attached to the, to the early rankings. I mean, some of that, some of these guys will stick up there as five stars, four stars, whatever. But, you know, at the same time, you know, we're working with limited information over here. And once we get more of that information, it might not all be good. 
The NCAA, um, along with you know nearing the finish line of this dead period, is about to reach a new chapter with how they handle the transfer uh, situation across college football. It has been a, a hot topic in college football for several years now. Uh, James Franklin, quite frankly, says he doesn't think the, the one-time transfer rule that is going to go into effect and, and be approved this week um, is going to make much of a difference because he feels like in a lot of ways, uh, it, it, it's been a, kind of an open door for, for guys to transfer and not necessarily have to sit out a year. But now it's officially an open door, Sean, because you're going to get to to go from one program to the next. And whereas you know we were so accustomed to years ago, that means you got to be sidelined for a year. You, you get tucked away, you, you practice, and then we'll see what you can do down the road a year. Now it's going to be you're at one school in the winter semester, you're playing for another team that following fall. Well, I think the only surprise would have been if this didn't pass. I mean, programs have been operating with this procedure that it was going to be open. I mean, you saw Penn State took in five transfers. That doesn't happen unless they're they're expecting all those guys to be on the field in 2021. So not a surprise in that manner. But yeah, it's uh, it's moving in that direction. It's moving even faster in that direction in basketball. But uh, that's a that's a whole nother issue. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of what you what you expected it to be. Um, I think you're going to see another rush to the portal after spring when guys figure out where they're at on these respective depth charts and guys figure out you know, how they fit into the program in the next couple of years. And I think you're going to see a residual effect on recruiting as well, because you, you see programs setting aside scholarships, for lack of a better term, um, for transfers, for initial counters and, and things of that nature. So I, I don't think it changes much about the way that we've been talking about this for the last uh five months or so. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be something that's going to change how, how the way a lot of programs operate in the next couple of years. Something to monitor very closely, something that will undoubtedly impact the Penn State roster in the coming years, uh, in the coming months. And, and, and we'll keep tabs on that. Uh, we got a lot to catch up on from a busy week. I feel like we had at least a dozen Zoom calls with coaches and players. Uh, took a bunch of notes along the way. Going to kind of empty that notebook in a moment. But we're thrilled to, to share with you uh, we have a temporary sponsor here on the Lions 24-7 podcast, which is the uh, Brandon Short re-election campaign for the Board of Trustees here at Penn State University. And without further ado, we serve up this message from the former Penn State All-American linebacker. <laughs> I'm Brandon Short, All-American linebacker, current member of Penn State's board, and two-time captain of your Nittany Lions. I'm running for re-election to Penn State's board. I come from a tough background, and a Penn State education changed my life. I had an NFL career, earned an MBA from Columbia, and I'm now in finance. Penn Staters have a lot of pride in athletics. There are wide-ranging benefits from success in athletics, increasing academic standards, supporting 850 student-athletes, and boosting the local economy. The current athletic budget is self-funding and is independent from the university, so investments have no impact on tuition or employee salaries. Yet, over the past decade, Michigan and Ohio State have outspent Penn State by $246 million and $390 million, respectively. Some candidates in this election want to de-emphasize athletics, making this gap wider. We must invest not for more touchdowns, but to benefit the local economy and enhance the entire university. If you agree, vote for Brandon Short, Steve Wagman, and Alvin DeLevy so together we can invest in Penn State's future. To vote, go to the link in the podcast show notes now. Thank you. And just this week, Brandon Short releasing a list of nearly 300 former Penn State student-athletes who signed an endorsement for his re-election campaign. 
Hopefully you caught our interview with Brandon Short. We covered a lot of what motivates him in this role, and we looked at a lot of his perspective on Penn State football, where the program is headed, some of his fond memories of of wearing the Nittany Lions uniform. We thank Brandon for supporting the podcast, and and we wish him well uh, with his campaign to continue working on the Board of Trustees. You will hear from Brandon over the course of these next couple weeks. Um, You can also register to vote in that election You'll find that link in the description for this podcast, wherever you're able to access your Lions 24-7 episodes. Also, if you accessed it via the Lions247.com article, we have it in there as well, a link to register to vote. Sean, shifting gears to where we are right now on the calendar with Penn State football, it's it's really the final week for a while now that we're going to have this kind of access to players and coaches. Um, things are going to get a bit more quiet in that regard moving ahead toward the summer, but we've maximized a lot of these conversations. And this week, just going through some of the notes, I, I thought we were going to get into this show and, and, and start off with some other conversations, but James Franklin threw something our way on, on Wednesday evening coming off of, of the practice field, 13th practice session of the spring camp. Um, and he went out there and really unsolicited said, Kalen King is probably the most advanced freshman that they have had since he arrived on campus in 2014. The cornerback out of Cast Tech High School in Detroit, the top-rated defensive signee for Penn State in the 2021 cycle, uh, arrived on campus in January alongside his twin brother, linebacker Kobe King. And Sean, that is quite the extraordinary statement from James Franklin. It's something, man. Uh, and and you know I'm a big Kalen King fan um, and hearing great things about the way that he's adjusted and the way that they both of those guys, Kobe and, and Kalen, have come in with that mindset. That they want to play early. They want to – this is going to be the business trip type uh, opportunity for them and they've made the most of it. So I think that um, – not surprised on that aspect. Um, Kalen was a huge fan of his on the field in terms of uh, – what he did in, in all three facets at Cast Tech. So uh, to me, the biggest roadblock was there at cornerback. And I think with uh, with him playing the way that he has played, you give yourself the, the flexibility there because it's such a good room, because it's such a deep room. Give yourself the flexibility uh, with, with some other guys. So I, I'm excited to see him out there. I'm excited to see how he looks and if he can keep up because, you know, when the, when, when the pads go on and the scrimmages happen and things like that, you know, it's a little bit different than running through drills. But if you can get him on the field as a true freshman, it means good things for for other other people in that room as well. So um, interested to see how uh, just to track Kalen King because the physical talent is there, the mentality is there, just basically everything you wanted. Um, you know, somebody in the program compared him to John Reed to me and says probably a little bit further ahead of where Reed was at that point. And you know, you, you knew when you were talking about John Reed, the mentality came into play. I think Kalen a, a little bit better of an athlete um, than than Reed was coming in. So um, Reed, I think, started his first career game at Penn State. So that says says a lot. Uh, three Castro Fields has had a fantastic spring there as well. Um, so it's it's a matter of who is he pushing out if he's going to get in there to play. So I think that's probably one of the most interesting storylines coming out of spring ball. Really, um, you know, just just to hear that and and what you heard from Kalen King over the about Kalen King over the course of his senior season was just a, a guy whose you know stock was on the rise. Terry Smith. Um, acknowledged that that they thought they were getting a good player. Then then you watched him progress over the course of that 2020 fall season, which was postponed. 
And you really saw maybe you're getting a better player than you initially anticipated. They thought he took his game to another level. Um, Alan True, 24-7 sports recruiting analyst who's based in Michigan and did a lot of good work covering the King Twins uh, during their time at Castec, uh, kind of followed up our story on James Franklin's comments with, with kind of a, a review of you know, kind of why we saw this maybe coming because of what he did last year on the field with Cast Tech. So uh, he's got a lot to prove. He still hasn't hit the field for a game in a Penn State uniform. But when James Franklin is going on the record in a public media session like that, making that kind of comment, this is a coach who has now signed eight classes at Penn State. Uh, last year, that, that freshman group was shortchanged because they didn't have a normal offseason. They didn't have spring practices. But you're talking about a large sample size of freshmen so to go this direction and say this guy might be the most advanced of the bunch, a uh, big time compliment. Um, he and, also and, and sorry, me, go ahead. One more thing on King. To me, it's an evaluation win because this is a guy that a lot of programs, you know, were just kind of they were high on him, but you know, he wasn't up there with Tony Grimes. He wasn't up there with some of these other top level cornerbacks that we saw in the in the twenty twenty one class. Penn State made him a priority, but I mean, I, I'd say top two, three cornerback on the board and when he was still a three-star. And I know that our rankings are obviously not the be-all, end-all, but they went all in on him when some other schools were maybe not as hot on him. You saw Michigan tried to turn the heat up there at the end. But by that time, Penn State had established that relationship, had really done a nice job recruiting both Kalen and Kobe. And uh, to me, that's a, that, that's a win right there. Now, obviously, when he gets onto the field, we'll obviously have a new set of uh, judgment or a new set of uh, uh, standards to judge him on. But at the same time, so far, the results have been good. The feedback has been very good, not just on the record, but off the record from the, the guys in the program. So I uh, really like what he brings to the table. And like I said, that that room is is very good. You mentioned John Dixon, uh, the, the South Carolina – excuse me, James Franklin mentioned John Dixon, the South Carolina uh uh, transfer and that's uh you know that's not a spot that needed a transfer but if you've got a guy that can come in and, and shake things up and play right away that's uh that's a chance you got to take especially in this this new age of the portal it's not a spot that needed a transfer and it's not really a spot that needed some instant impact freshman and, and it looks like you've got two guys ready to play for Penn State apparently right now based on the feedback we're hearing and uh Franklin said that the addition of Dixon and King change things and and how he's looking at this defensive backfield he felt like they already had um built up with what they were returning you know the the makings of a really solid secondary on defense and and then you add king and and him being so far along right now in his first semester and you add dixon a guy who has several starts in the sec under his belt from last season um, and all of a sudden you're sorting through that room and saying, well, who's getting left on the sidelines and how do they get back on the field? Because you brought back five guys with Big Ten experience, four of them with starting experience, and then throw in Daquan Hardy, who played quite a bit in the star position role down the stretch last year. So a lot to sort through there. A lot to sort through also at, at running back, Sean, because you've got five guys with power five experience. You brought in John Lovett from Baylor, another one of those transfer additions. And oh, by the way, Noah Kane, who felt like he was ready for launch last October and, and then was lost for the season after three carries, is continuing to work his way back. An update there from James Franklin on Wednesday night as well says Kane is now active on the practice field. He is not full go. He is not full go in live contact. So not 100% right now, but he is getting reps. And, and James Franklin said he actually feels like Kane is probably further along than maybe he thought the third-year sophomore would be coming out of spring camp. 
they're pleased with with where Kane is right now in terms of that they're not going to throw anything at him to you know make him re-aggravate that injury or anything. But to get back out there to get a football in his hand and get running around and doing some bag drills and things like that is you know more than they expected just a couple of months ago. So for him to be on that track seems seems like a good thing. Uh, running back is is obviously a very interesting position. Um, as we mentioned with Dixon, you bring in a guy like John Lovett. And he's not coming in to, to to ride the pine or anything like that. So you got some competition there. You've got Devin Ford. You got the two freshmen from last year, and I, I think that that's some healthy competition. But to, to me, a healthy Noah Kane could make all the difference. It would have made a, a lot of difference last year. Um, obviously, they lost him on the first drive of the season, but uh, would have made a, a a great difference in what they were trying to do last year and how the how he fit into what Kirk Shiraka wanted to do last year. So. Um, we don't have to rehash how much his injury uh, meant for, for Penn State, but to get him back out there, to get him going is certainly a plus. Uh, just anything this spring, um, <laughs> aside from an injury update, anything this spring for Noah Kane is a positive. Sider mentioned when we when we had him on a call just a few weeks ago that that he certainly sees Noah Kane as the guy that this offense is is going to be built you know built around in some ways the kind of running back that you can build an offensive around um, and and he's going to have a large role if he's ready for it. One thing that Sider says is they see a running back in Kane that that can help lead you to a Big Ten championship that that can be that guy, but. He's got to stay on the football field, and right now he's got two career starts, and in both instances, Sean, he exited because of an injury before the second quarter. So a a lot to like about Noah Kane, but a lot to find out about Noah Kane, and that starts with his health right now. And also in that running back room, you know, look (laughs) – one ball, and 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 you you know each of these guys would love to go out and be the man out of the backfield. I don't know how it's going to shape up. We've seen rotations pop up the last couple of years, um, but you really have a, you have to figure out how does Devin Ford factor into here. And it's been really interesting this spring to hear Cider and now James Franklin publicly, you know, really apply that challenge to Devin Ford. You know, probably about as critical a, a, a toward a player. In one of these Q and A sessions, uh, when the media beat gets together, as I've as I've heard through a few years now, we heard Cider um, back in March saying, I've, "I've been talking about Devin Ford's potential for years now. Um, it's still all there, but at some point, we're going to need to see it." He's in his third year on campus. He's got a lot of game reps under his belt. It's time to turn this thing on and take it to another level. And James Franklin was directly asked, you know, as Devin Ford kind of turned that corner this spring, and he said that there has been flashes that they really like. But he says, you know, they're still looking for continued consistency, and that's something that they still want to see more of. So I just find that very interesting that the, the staff has not shied away from publicly challenging Devin Ford, who was a top 100 overall prospect in the 2019 recruiting class and came in with uh, with Noah Kane a few months later. Um, we, we talked about before, his opportunity was on the table last year with Kane and Brown, both sidelines. And by the end of the season, he had missed three of the last four games in the games that he had played didn't wow you, didn't really take the reins of that situation. And by the end of the year, there was more conversation about Kevon Lee and Keziah Holmes. You throw Noah Kane back in, you add John Lovett. And, you know, it, it's certainly, uh, it's interesting. We talked with Devin Ford yesterday and it's, it's hard to get a, a read on, on on where his career is going to go from here. Well, you, you handle him differently as a sophomore 
that he was last year as a third string guy that came into the the season. And of course, journey happens, uh, Noah Kane happens, and then all of a sudden he's got the ball. So you've got to handle him differently as a sophomore than he is as a junior. I mean, this is this is the time when you have to find out is this too big for Devin Ford? And it, it, you know, so far the the feedback has been they're not sure yet, and that's troubling probably um, in a sense. And and the other thing is you got to take it on at some point and go with it. And that's something we've seen um, not just at this position but at other positions through the years. If, it, if it's been too much for someone to handle, even a guy that started in, in certain roles, then they you know find themselves moving on. So I think that's probably uh, – it's it's really cliche to call it a crossroads right here, but that's kind of where Devin Ford is in, in terms of his career. Is he going to be the running back that, that they see the flashes of or is he going to be the guy that you turn to and, and lean on and rely on and just doesn't produce and doesn't uh, – you know, fulfill what you hoped that, that he could be. So uh, on top of that, obviously, he's, he's he had the off-field uh, troubles last summer. I think that's probably a, a maturity thing playing into it. And, you, you know, you're going to see how these guys can handle it. And he's I, – I mean – I, I was – I'm not, not going to say shocked that Franklin and Sider would, would put him in a position where you're saying, oh, here's the expectations. You have to live up to these expectations. But they don't go out and do that very often, at least on a public – in a public manner. So – it's uh, it's really just an uh, an interesting dynamic. We haven't seen a ton of that at Penn State. I think it's I think it's helpful, especially in a room like running back where you've got a lot of talent, and if you're not going to make the most of it, then get out of the way because somebody else is going to try. So, um, it's uh, it's probably healthy in the long run, but it's an interesting case study here that that we've seen over the last uh, I would say probably what eight months. It's and it's difficult to ignore when 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 these coaches are going on the record and stating these things and. You certainly are, are, are you know, aware that Devin Ford uh, knows these things are being said, and, and you wonder what's being said to him behind closed doors in team facilities during this offseason. Uh, yeah, crossroads is, is an appropriate term here, cliche or not, because uh, we've got a lot to figure out about Devin Ford in the next few months and, and where his uh, college ambitions are going to go from here and whether that's going to take place at Penn State or if, it, if it's going to be time to, to search for another fit. Um, kind of from from an uncomfortable story to one that is moving toward being a, a really nice and, and kind of a, you know one of those uplifting stories. And Nick Tarburton looks like he's going to get out of spring. Um, I, sh- I shouldn't even say this. He's healthy right now. Why and, would you and, do and, that yeah, to I'm, the kid? I, I stop myself. He's healthy right now through 13 practices. Got a couple more to get through, but um, it was a pleasure to speak with him this week, Sean. I, I don't think we've had a chance to, to speak with Nick Tarburton since you know after his freshman year. Uh, I think May 2019 was the last time that we spoke with Nick and um, a a guy who certainly really appreciates the ability to play football right now uh, more than at any point in his entire life. Um, He he described it as, as, you know, taking kind of its toll on him, on his soul, on his emotions, uh, just, just really constantly debilitated during his first couple of years on campus. Uh, but here he is, a guy who's been pointed to as as uh, an emerging leader along the defensive line, a guy who's been pointed to as a potential contributor where they need some guys like that at defensive end. And, you know, Tar Burton told us himself, you know, he's going out there, and whether he's starting or, or, or contributing in a rotational kind of role. Um, it's just been a very gratifying offseason, a strong winter, uh, by all accounts, an, an impressive spring to this point. Um, and a guy who's looking to come out the other side of this as as someone Penn State, quite frankly, needs uh, to get something out of at that position this fall. And first off, 
we'll we'll judge his performance and everything like that on a different level. I, for one, had pretty much written off Nick Tarburton in terms of him being a contributor. In fact, it was mentioned to me that you know this is guy this guy's probably going to end up taking a medical um, just because he had the back stuff, the hip stuff, just a ton of stuff going on. It just seemed like. Uh, it was kind of a kind of a situation like Jonathan Thomas a few years ago, where okay, one thing would hurt, and then that would lead to um, you know if you if your ankle hurts and you don't have proper rotation in your ankle, then it moves up to your knee, moves up to your hip, and things like it's just like one chain reaction after another with Nick Tarburton, and you just thought he'd never be healthy, and that's you know understandable. It's happened before, um, but seemed like, seemingly like. Johnny Thomas and Thomas was never a star for Penn State, but he came back and was a contributor and uh, was, I think, a special teams captain. Um, so it's kind of a situation like that where if you can get something out of him now, that that would be phenomenal. That'd be absolutely phenomenal, especially at a position like defensive end that needs it very badly. And you got to feel great for Nick in terms of how hard he's worked to get into the position that he's been. Um, like I said, we, we'll judge all that stuff in the fall and we'll probably talk about it way too much in the fall as well. Um, but no, it's, it's just really cool to see him come out of this spring and and really make the most of it. And it's not just you know him putting himself out there. It's not just James Franklin mentioning him a few times, but other teammates have brought him up in terms of uh, that's a guy that you look to not only for some experience points and things like that, but also a little bit of inspiration. And that's you know it's it's a bit you know hacky and things like that, but it, it's that it's, matters, it's, man. That's it, the kind that of stuff does. that we weren't hearing last year when the team was all separated. There weren't a lot of guys inspiring each other, it didn't feel like, because they were a kind of frantic situation. It's nice to hear these stories again where you know, you're looking across the field and you're getting motivated by your teammate because you know what he's been through. This is the kind of stuff that when you didn't have the team bonding and chemistry being built last year, you didn't hear these kind of storylines. And right now, it's, just, it's, it's, it's one, of the nice, you know, one of the really nice things that's coming out of this spring for Penn State. And, and another guy, Sean, who's getting some love in that 2018 recruiting class who came in as well, Bryce Effner, is, you know, Kind of been out of sight, out of mind for much of his career. Um, James Franklin was about to walk away from from his call with us on Wednesday night. And he said, wait, hold on. I want to mention this. And he says Bryce Efner has really, he says the light has come on for him this spring. They're seeing him play at tackle, at guard. Uh, they've worked him in at center, and he's done some nice things at center as well. So they've mentioned him as a swing offensive lineman when they signed him a few years ago. Now they're seeing that come to fruition as a viable option, it sounds like. And, and, and Phil Troutwine wasn't ready to go on the record with a, a best five, as he calls that starting lineup. But he says he feels good about 10 guys. And then that speaks about the depth that they're developing and the competition that he feels good about. And right now, based on Franklin's comments, I, I think it's probably safe to say that Efner's in that mix. With uh, w- When he said about Efner, uh, my antenna just went up because I was talking to somebody earlier in the week and they just kind of offhand mentioned Efner as well. And it's just one of those things where – you know, you're in spring football and you've got guys moving around and Efner's played tackle, he's played guard. You mentioned uh, Franklin said they worked him at center. Um, that's interesting as well, but he's been a guy that you really have not leaned on, but a guy that's just been constantly there. I apologize. My dog just saw something, but uh, uh, the it's, it's, it's a guy that James Franklin will say he would recruit him again. And, he, and that's interesting to me because He's a player slash prospect that obviously wasn't a big time guy. Obviously, was kind of overlooked. I think there was 
you know, uh, criticism about Penn State taking Bryce Effner at the time that they did based on what was on the board, but he's worked himself into a, a quality piece of that room. And, you know, even if he's not going to be the starter, maybe you see him out there a couple of times uh, in a couple of different uh, scenarios, whether it be a tackle, whether it be a guard. He's a guy that's always been on the travel roster, which is probably um, a little bit more valuable than, than we give credit to because he's, you know, he can fill in a couple of those gaps. So I'm excited to see his progress. Um, not not really willing to coin him a starter, but as we've said, until Eric Wilson gets here, there's plenty of questions on that interior. And, um, you know, maybe that's a good, maybe this is also um, a cause and effect thing. Maybe you're seeing good things out of Landon Tangwall. So you know that you can move Efner from tackle into guard and maybe compete for that open spot. Another guy who came to campus in 2018, like, like uh, Efner, like Tarburton is, is PJ Mustafer. And it was interesting to speak with him because he went to John Scott after last season, Sean said, I want to get bigger. I want to bulk up. I want to become uh, a, a more of a stout presence. A defensive anchor is is the phrase that that PJ Mustafer uh, mentioned during our call with him this week. He's up. If you go off the, the roster last year, he was listed 300 pounds. He's now listed at 326 pounds. Um, he says it's more eating, but it's it's it doesn't mean that that you're eating worse. Uh, like eating, he says it's very important to maintain the agility, the quickness, the footwork that he prides himself on. You don't want to get sloppy with those extra pounds. But it sounds like from what we heard from Scott, from what we've heard with him, really confident with with adding that weight to to his his stature right now. He was right around three ten, three fifteen. He told us uh, as a freshman, and he felt like la- uh, as a uh, as a sophomore, I should say. When he really came on as a part of that rotation, played a lot with Antonio Shelton and, and and Robert Windsor, and then last year as a full time starter, Sean, he just felt like he was lacking that, and he was very critical of himself. Quite, you know, uh, I was actually kind of surprised because he just felt like th- they didn't defend the run well enough, and it started with him. He said he just felt like he wants to be a guy who's going to hold up against that point of contact. Create opportunities for the guys behind him, the guys next to him. He's moved over into that two-eye spot, uh, uh, which is the technique that has you on the inside shoulder of the of the guard. So he's going to be that kind of nose tackle presence. We'll see who's working off of him as a defensive tackle. But P.J. Mustafer says that's the spot he plans to really anchor down in this year. And John Scott, I think I mentioned this on the podcast an episode or two ago, says that when it comes time for big boy football in the Big Ten, which, by the way, that's going to be your first game of the year at Wisconsin – he is somebody that they feel is going to be that quote unquote stout presence at defensive tackle. Yeah, it's a trial by fire right there, especially, uh, you know, with the if you're going to break in Derek Tangelo there, you're going to find two defensive end starters. Maybe that's Akeem Beeman. So there's a lot on their plate right out, right away. But Mustafer's got to be that guy. It's kind of a situation. It just alluded to this with Devin Ford. Um, when you're a sophomore, okay. PJ Mustafer was a starter last year and he was going to be looked at upon as a starter, unlike Devin Ford. But, you know, you, you don't sort of put him in the same level as some of the defensive tackles you've had in the past. Now, all of a sudden, he's clearly in the spotlight right now. They're expecting big things out of him. Um, and the best thing that he can do is, is make the other guys around him better. And that's something that I don't th- really think they got much of last year when, when it was Mustafer and Shelton. Maybe a little bit too similar. I know their their body types are a little bit different, but in terms of what you were asking them to do and and what their strengths are, I don't know that you know having those two guys beside each other they complemented each other all that well. And I think it you know there was a little bit of rip, ripple effect there with the defensive ends with the linebackers behind them. So hopefully you find some guys that play off of each other um, a little bit better than that. And I think uh, you know PJ that the talent is there, the frame is there, you know the the wrestling background, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but he's 
he's going to have to take a step forward. And that's going to be one of those guys where you got to figure out is, is this moment his moment? And I, I, I think it can be. I, I really, I'm a big Mustafer fan. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to judge defensive tackles based on stats, but I think that he can be that guy. Um, but it, it's not just about his stats. It's about improving the mic behind him or, or something of that nature in terms of, uh, you know, how they, how they just make everybody around them better. And I think that that's very hard to quantify, but at the same time, you can look at it, you can see it sometimes, and you're going to, I think you're going to see it from PJ Mustafer. And in a room where you lost two leader type guys and, and very different types of leaders in Shaka Tony and Antonio Shelton, um, PJ Mustafer has really, you know, filled that void. He has been the tone setter by all accounts and prided himself on that. I've said it and I'll say it again. If he's not a captain on that list this summer, I will be absolutely shocked. And, and I do think that over the course of this season, when I look across the roster, here as a fourth-year junior, he's a guy that stands out to me that could really improve on, on their professional football stock with a strong season. Um, we'll see how it comes together for P.J. Mustafer, but I thought it was really interesting how he kind of took the prerogative of saying, I want to pack on the pounds. I want to do it the right way, and here's why. And he laid that all out for us uh, this week during that call. One other spot that we wanted to focus in on here, from because uh, we had two guys at the spot this week, and Jair Brown and Jonathan Sutherland, Sean, is the safety position next to Jaquan Brisker uh, open? Uh, those are the two guys that, that come to mind. We've been talking about them for a while. Jair Brown coming in from junior college last year, uh, playing in, you know as, as, a, as a backup. Um, and then we also saw quite a bit of Jonathan Sutherland at safety during recent seasons. He's kind of made his mark as a special teams guy, and he's a two-time captain on special teams. Probably going to be a three-time captain this year uh, for Penn State. But a lot of questions about his ability to be the guy who handles your snaps as a starter at safety. I don't know if we'll have it. I mean, let's face it. We're not going to have a, a definitive solution coming out of the spring here. Um, but I continue to come away really impressed by what we hear about Jair Brown and what we hear from Jair Brown. Um, I, I don't know how it shapes up, Sean. And I don't want to shortchange Sutherland. But but that's kind of where I continue to, to look a bit more. I'm just a bit more intrigued. And maybe that's because it's a new guy to the na- new guy to the program, a newer guy. Um, but But I continue to kind of. I'm really interested in Jair Brown and maybe I'm just, maybe I'm not looking toward Jonathan Sutherland quite enough. I, I No, I think that's a, that's an okay way to approach it because what we've seen out of Sutherland hasn't blown anybody out of the water, especially, you know, from, from that, you know, he's been fantastic on special teams, et cetera. But when you put him out there on defense, it's, you know, a little bit more pressure. It's a little bit more under the microscope. So I don't know that, you know, does he seem like a guy that can make a big jump like, uh, like Brisker made last year, like some of these guys have made in the past. I don't know that that's, in the cards for Jonathan Sutherland. So yeah, I think the unknown is, is intriguing. Uh, the, the great stuff that we heard about Jair Brown at the, at the beginning of spring. I mean, that's, that's all well and good, but you've got, you know, you got to be consistent across the board. Uh, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure how to say this, but Jaquan Brisker is going to be the star at safety. You, you got to find the other guy. And that's, something that's that's tough because the other guy has to be the consistent guy if brisker is a star and can go out and get a couple of picks well if he misses on a couple of those shots it's okay this other guy has to be you know sort of solid across the board and that's really tough thing to do for a first year starter so um excited to see what brown can bring to the table again that's that's not a judgment that we can make coming out of spring ball but i think the potential is there i don't know that he's a you know an all big 10 guy right away or anything like that but i think he can be a starter and i think he can be a solid starter but those guys really need to uh 
figure out where they're at going into the season because that's that's one of those positions that we still see Penn State looking to the portal for. Um, it, it could look very different coming in in August. We could see some other guys moved around there. So I think that that's uh, an intriguing battle, and it's going to be that way. This is probably going to be one that we talk about every other episode up until August, and that's I don't think it's a you know I don't think it's bad for either of those players, but I don't know that anyone's going to grab it, run with it, and be the starter, uh, just the, the, the full-bore starter right away. Consistency will be key, as you said. I think the communication aspect here is absolutely vital. I know a lot of our readers have pointed that out. And, um, and well, But let me jump in here. I think yeah. the consistency is the thing that has Sutherland in it. I mean, you look at what mm-hmm. he's been able to do and hasn't done anything spectacular. I, I don't know that he's been awful. So I think that he's probably a little bit more just in the middle there, and, and Brown you know, maybe can give you a turnover, maybe can give give you a big hit, but that's I don't know that that's what the position is looking for at this point right now. So I still think Brown probably, if we started today, probably would get that nod, but I don't know that it would be a situation where you wouldn't see in every other series or every two series or something like that. I still think it's it's pretty close. Yeah, throw in the fact that you've got a first-year coach there in Anthony Poindexter. It gets a lot more interesting. We haven't heard much about Tyler Rudolph, Enzo Jennings, the younger guys in that mix. You're going to add two true freshmen this summer at safety. And as Sean just referenced, Maybe you see somebody end up in that safety room who's not necessarily there right now. Uh, Going to have to sort itself out between now and September 4th. Uh, one other thing here, Sean, three guys separately were asked about plays that stood out from spring camp. Three of them on Wednesday talked about this one-handed grab that Parker Washington made. And, and Parker Washington lighted it up on the practice field by all indications. And so has Jahan Dotson, which is exciting. And we're going to get a chance to see those guys, believe it or not, finally in a practice session. We haven't actually seen a Penn State practice since we were down in Dallas for the Cotton Bowl in December 2019. So that will change in Beaver Stadium on Saturday. Different practice format than maybe what we would see in the past, but we're going to break that down. What we'll be watching for closely, we're going to come to you on Saturday uh, afterwards and, and kind of go over what we saw um, with a, with the post, I don't want to call it game podcast, but post-practice podcast. But stay with us here on the Lions 24-7 because we'll preview that a little bit. Uh, Some interesting storylines that we'll be keeping tabs on Saturday when these guys get back into the stadium. Penn State will hold its 15th and final practice of the spring schedule on Saturday afternoon in Beaver Stadium. It's set to begin around noon, set to conclude somewhere around 2 o'clock, and then we're going to get our chance to speak with James Franklin, uh, offensive coordinator Mike Yersich, defensive coordinator Brent Pry, uh, special teams coordinator Joe Lorig, and, and a bunch of different players as we put a, a, a punctuation mark at the end of these 15 spring practices. Unfortunately, most of you will not be able to watch it as we watch it because there's there's no TV broadcast for this. I know people have been scrambling this week. A lot of fans have reached out um, and been saying, where can I catch this game? Is it going to be broadcast? Well, we have our answer. Penn State is going to be doing a, an audio broadcast uh, you know, during the game through, through GoPSU Sports, and um, but not going to be any visual on this. So we're going to do our best to describe what we see, Sean. Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting, first off, because I, I know that's a hot topic right now. Why isn't this game broadcast? Ohio State's going to be featured on BTN. A bunch of other schools w- uh, within the conference are going to have their spring scrimmages or what have you broadcast in some format. Um, in this case, you know, we even heard from James Franklin talking about how they've got regional recruits going down south and attending these spring games where you wouldn't know there was any kind of a pandemic that ever existed. You've got stadiums that are filling up got that atmosphere going on 
It's not the blue-white game festivities, and it's not the recruiting shindig, and, and there's not even going to be eyeballs on this thing outside of those of us in the stadium. And, and as I know it, it's it's going to be the media in the press box. It's going to be some some guests and family members of staff and players, and apparently a collection of first-year students, maybe some blue band action there. But uh, you know, really a scaled-down version. If anyone was anticipating even a blue game light, that's not what you're going to get. There's going to be some scrimmage, but a lot of just kind of regular repetitious practice. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's, a, it's always a funny story that pops into my head. Um, asking guys, you know, a decade ago about what's going on in practice, and that's something that's really been locked down on with uh, with the staff. But um, just it, the the players all, first off. They know we're going to be there on Saturday, so that's going to be an interesting how they handle any sort of pressure because they know that it's going to be written about. But not a lot happens in practice, and that's the thing that I keep going back to every time. You know, people say, "Okay, are you mad that they don't have open practice for these two or three hour sessions every day?" No, not at all, because it's a lot of drills. It's a lot of it's a lot of cool stuff to see for certain chunks of time, but to report on it is a little bit different because not as much happens in terms of you know changing guys around and all that stuff. But it does suck that it's not going to be on TV, especially when you've got an opportunity to, um, after last season, when you didn't have fans in, sort of open it up a little bit. Ohio State, I think, is going to be on the BTN four times this weekend. I looked at the uh, the scheduling uh, uh, app on the BTN. So, I mean, that's a, that's a miss right there. And a lot of people are going to miss this. And it's not so much the football aspect of it, but the um, ability to sort of be normal, the ability to see what's going on and the ability to see maybe some sort of progress. And we'll, there's a great mailbag question, by the way, that that's going to talk about, uh, the blue white game history and things like that. Um, but no, it's, uh, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a letdown. Tyler and I will do our best to be your eyes. Um, for whatever that's worth sitting up in the third, third, uh, row or excuse me, the third, uh, level of the Beaver Stadium press box watching practice. Uh, it's hard to know how much we can glean from this. Uh, we're, uh, I think like Penn State, like James Franklin, we're trying to set your uh, expectations low for this one. <laughs> yeah, well, we will bring you some goods uh, afterwards and we'll get a podcast up. But you know, again, this is going to be more practice than it is scrimmage. You should not anticipate seeing the off, just a constant uh, defense versus offense, 11 on 11 situation. But Again, it's been so long, Sean, since we've gotten eyeballs on these guys. And, and outside of the, the players who were actually on the field last Saturday, we got a lot to learn about the, the players who showed up in 2020, even some of them from back in the 2019 class and certainly these early enrolled freshmen. And let's start at what are we looking for? We're still not sure what we'll be watching, but when we're watching it, what are we looking for? To me, I've seen Sean Clifford play a lot of football, and, and, and I am going to be watching – you know what he's doing on the field, how he's interacting with Mike Yersich. You're curious on that, but it's the other quarterbacks that that you know. I think the binoculars are going to be trained on for a lot of that afternoon. Christian Veyer, Taquan Roberson, where do they stand? I mean, you're just curious to see them play some football. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I would take that route in terms of watching those guys, and I will be watching those guys, obviously. But to me, it's about Clifford. I don't know that the I, – I think the gap is too big for him to lose a starting job in the spring or, or lose a starting job going into the fall. But 
there is so much heaped on his shoulders right now. And we've been very critical of him on this show, no doubt about it. Um, but let's you know, see how he reacts, see if he can handle this and um, see if this is a situation where, you know, you're going to be panicking going uh, all summer long. I know some people are going to do that regardless, but if he comes out sharp, I mean, that's certainly a, a, a positive that you can take away from that. So I don't want to be too hard on him right now, but I think the microscope is going to be on him. We, we often talk about the the older players getting a pass in spring, but as important as that position is, as poorly as that position played last year, it's got to be a step forward from him. And, the, and one of the reasons I, I mentioned Roberson Veyer is because of something you just said. These guys know that the media is watching them. They know that students are watching them. They may not be on some national broadcast because of the circumstances, but this is a different environment than, than they've experienced in a while. I know Taquan Roberson uh, had, had as an early enrollee in 2019, you know, took took a significant amount of snaps during that spring game, but he's entering a different phase. He needs to be in a different phase of his career at this stage in 2021 for Penn State for the sake of that room. And then Christian Veyer, I mean, the guy hasn't played live action football, and he's not going to be getting hit. He's not going to be you know being brought to the ground by a defensive lineman, but going to be facing a defense in, in in probably in front of the biggest crowd he's played football in front of, and he hasn't played live football since 2019. So to me, I, I don't see Sean Clifford, I don't see everything surrounding this being, you know, kind of getting in his head. Um, but I see it potentially getting in the head of, of a Roberson or a Veyer. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's, I, I think it's a bigger situation. Sorry, it's not a very big situation. But at the same time, when you get out there, you get the you get going live. You know, people are going to be writing about it. You know, people are going to be I don't know pe- people hot taking taking the hell out of it. Yeah, yeah. hot taking <laughs> it um, is is the way to go on this. Um, but people taking you know students taking video from the stands and things like that. I mean, it, it adds an element of pressure there, and and it's obviously a new offense. It's a new opportunity for, for Christian is especially. So um, I, I think there is, I think it's, it's good pressure. I mean, they're, they're, you're not going to throw an interception and lose the game or anything like that. So you don't want to find that out in uh, September, um, but it's good pressure. You can get out there and, and, and maybe show how comfortable you are. And, you know, let's be honest, some of these guys are gamers for lack of a better term. You know, you might not practice at a top level, but you know, when, when things get faster, some of these guys actually do get better. And I think that that's certainly what you're hoping for when you when you see your quarterbacks. I think that's the key to remember here. The the staff, they're not going to really put these guys through stuff that they haven't been putting them through for the last, what, five weeks. Um, the difference is you're in Beaver Stadium. There's eyeballs on you. There's cameras on you. And people are going to be, you know, again, hot taking the hell out of what you do on the field. So a lot of kind of seeing where guys stand mentally right now, the maturity aspect of it. And certainly you want to see them go out and execute your plan for practice. But they've been going through practices. They've, they're going to have 14 by the time they get to the stadium uh, for number 15. So there's not a lot that, that is going to be new, I think, on the field. It's going to be new for us, though. And, and, and there's going to be some new guys out there. I want to see John Lovett in that running back room, uh, you know, just, just out there in Nittany Lions uniform, working through things. Running back, what are we going to see there? Noah Kane's not going to be involved, I wouldn't imagine. I can't imagine. Uh, but, but you know, who else, who else is out there? Does Kevon Lee look a little bit faster? Does Kaziah Holmes look a little bit bigger, more physical? Uh, you want to see some developmental stuff. And But wide receiver to me, Sean, is the spot where I'm like, I don't really know what anyone's going to look like for a lot of that group because a guy like Malik Mega could go out there and, and put on a show. Um, you, you, Jaden Dotton could go out there, do some nice things. Maybe Norvell Black steps up. But really, it, beyond Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington – 
I mean, anybody has a lot to gain in that wide receiver room from putting together a strong practice session. Yeah, and I'm actually curious about the veterans, Sullivan Brown, and and do you get anything out of Daniel George? But Malik Mega um, is a guy that I'm going to be watching closely. Uh, we've heard some good things. You I, you were sitting in on an interview this week and talked about uh, Malik Mega taking a glance right to the house, and so I'm intrigued by that, and and by extension the tight ends as well, um, because you've got uh, obviously a ton of talent there. Um, we I think we know what what you get in Brenton Strange. We have a pretty good idea of what you get in Theo Johnson. Really not sure what's what. Uh, Tyler Warrens brings to the table. So you sort of lump those guys together or lump those positions together and we'll see who's, uh, who comes out on Saturday catching the ball. Yeah, really curious to see Theo Johnson um, specifically out of that group. And, and then who lines up where on, on the offensive line? You know, Troutwine's biggest thing has been uh, I'm not going to focus in and fixate on positions. I, I want to see my best five. If that means a guy who's been, been at tackle needs to go to guard and someone else is stepping up at tackle, then that's what they'll do. Um now, I want to see where Landon Tengwall is lining up. We, we know that he's been capable of moving around that offensive front. You've mentioned center as a potential high-ceiling spot for him. He, guard, tackle, and you can extend this to, to a lot of the guys uh, that I think, uh, you know, is Nate Bruce going to be active out there? I'm just curious. if you know we, We're hearing from Troutwine that he feels like he has 10 guys right now that he can bring, bring with him on the road to Wisconsin and potentially play if, if he needs to play them. Um, where are they? Where are they lining up? And 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 how much are we going to see of all these guys? Uh, you know, because you know Rashid Walker at left tackle, you, you know what you're getting there. I think uh, Mike Miranda uh, inside at center. You've you got Rashid or Caden uh, Wallace at right tackle, but you know, th- there's a lot to discuss with the guard positions right now. And a guy like Anthony Wigan in year three from junior college, and and a player uh, like Des Holmes at this stage of his career, guys who are a little bit further along. And then we're hearing good things about Salim Wormley, and then Juice Scruggs, and. Uh, there's just so many names, and Bryce Efner, throw him into there now. Um, I'm just curious to see where they actually, you know, get in a three point stance. Yeah, how they're going to figure this out because there's a, there's a lot of shuffling to be doing. It's it's nice to go every other and have an established left tackle, an established center, and an established right tackle, established center in the sense that Mike Miranda's played a lot of football, and you know, sliding him inside really shouldn't change a ton of that, but. Um, the, yeah, that's, those are those are some of the guys that you're just intrigued with, especially. I don't think you mentioned a single red quote unquote red shirt freshman or a freshman from last year. And there's five of them, there's, right? Yeah. yeah, there's a bunch of them. Uh, <laughs> Olu Fashanu is obviously a guy that we've been tracking for a long time, have high hopes for him. I mean, those interior guys, um, you know, Achumba and Traore and Dawkins and uh, Jimmy Chris, where he stands. So um, I, it'd be interesting to see if they, you know, maybe give Rashid Walker some downtime, maybe do the same for Mike Miranda. Uh, Efner, we mentioned him and talked a lot about him earlier in the podcast is, is very intriguing to me because he's, he can be a plug and play guy and you want to see if he can handle this level. So I don't know that you're going to be able to glean a ton of, uh, of useful information from their performance, but you'll see some guys mixing and matching. Tangwall is obviously a big one there. Um, you know, can he be a, a reliable tackle this early in his, uh, in his career, and does that give you the opportunity to move Efner inside? So you've got a lot of options there, a lot of numbers. I mean, that's the thing. He, he says he's got 10 that he's, he's comfortable with, but at the same time, I think there's 15 or 16 scholarship offensive linemen. So I would hope that he could find out of those numbers some, some guys that he's comfortable with. And there are numbers on both sides of the trenches here, Sean, and there are guys who got to campus last year that we just haven't seen because they weren't in games last fall. So you mentioned all the offensive linemen. 
you can you can pick and choose some of those names on the defensive front. Some some guys at end, some guys at tackle. Uh, there, there's there's a lot to see, and, and I and I'd imagine we'll we'll see a lot of a lot of bodies involved on both sides of, of the line um, when Penn State lines it up for a bit uh, and, and does some scrimmage work. Um, additionally, uh, on the defensive line and, and then you know beyond, you're looking at some of these new faces, the transfer players. We've heard good things about John Dixon at cornerback. He's a guy to monitor. But to me, I'm you know really curious to see Arnold Ebekede, um and and Derek Tangelo uh, on the defensive front. You know, Ebekede has been you know a guy that has consistently come up in conversation as as being really explosive and someone they feel like is going to be able to set the edge and maybe better against the run than they think uh, that's all going to get proven when he starts playing Big 10 football but I'm ready to see that in real time see him you know get off the ball a bit that's that's apparently a huge attribute and I am you know speaking with Tangelo who you know what is the mix going to look like at defensive tackle you know PJ Mustafer's entrenched there, but Hakeem Beeman is someone we've we've discussed plain end, plain tackle. Um, you know, and then you've got Tangelo coming in, and and you've got some uh, guys like Fred Hansard who, who's been around for a while. And then you've got you know kind of you name it from the guys who are you know first or second years on campus at defensive tackle. I'm just curious to kind of see w- what John Scott gives us on Saturday. Um, some different four man fronts and, and and how he's kind of utilizing some of the players that we just haven't seen in action. Well, he has the numbers to do it. That's for sure. sure I mean, there's like what 27 defensive <laughs> tackles that he's going to work with. It'll be interesting to see the guys, you know, we've, we've been out of practice for over a year now. We haven't really gotten a glimpse of it. So to see the guys, maybe Devon Ellis to see what kind of uh, progress he has made. Uh, Joseph Darkwa is just a complete mystery at this point. You wonder if uh, where he stands in his progress. And then uh, John Scott was seen pretty high on Fatuma Malba and uh, Cole, Cole Brevard last weekend or last week when he spoke to us. So, you just kind of get a sense of what some of these younger guys and how, you know, you, you, I don't know that you can rep count or things like that and get an idea of where they sit into the rotation. But like on the offensive line, you got a lot of numbers there. You're going to work a lot of guys in and some guys may be squeezed out and, and, and not get the reps that you think. And, and I'll add to your grouping, Tarbert and a guy that we talked about earlier, um, a lot of positive buzz about him, but we haven't seen him on a field for probably two years. So, um, it's uh, it, it, those sort of guys that are going to be in my binoculars, if you will. So just to keep an eye on, on how they move because it's such – obviously defensive line is so important. And uh, really a lot of bodies at defensive tackle and you know not a lot of experience at defensive end. So you can't take much from a two-hour session on a Saturday in April, but you, know, you, can, you can figure out a little of this stuff. Smith Vilbert, I, I don't know if you said his name, but we have heard his name a bit as someone who seems to be uh, putting some things together for 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 his career and in, in, in a spot where they need someone to, to kind of take a step forward there, and maybe he's a candidate to do that. Um, you know, at at Kalen King, I mean, clearly there's going to be all eyes on this kid uh, after what James Franklin said. There's going to be a lot of interest, but. How about his brother? I mean, we've talked about the kind of slippery slope now that Penn State finds itself at at linebacker with the numbers, with the guys who are currently available to play. Um, can Kobe King make a push to be a two-deep kind of player? I, it's, I'm pretty sure that's what you had projected on your spring camp roster. Want to see him move around there, you know, work, work himself against a bunch of Power 5 football players and, uh, you know, kind of see if he looks like he fits in with that group. They've got five scholarship linebackers. I hope he's a two-deep player right now. Um, Oof, that's that's yeah. the big thing when you're talking about playing like a 
blue-white scrimmage and you're splitting these teams up. You don't have enough scholarship linebackers to fill out a, a starter, a starting unit on each side. So that'll be certainly something to watch. Um, in the defensive backfield, you mentioned Kalen King. Um, interested to see him and Dixon as well. A guy like Keaton Ellis, where he fits into the mix here. Um, and, and of course, those safeties that we've talked about way too much already um, certainly will be there. Um, but beyond the starters, you've got Enzo Jennings, you've got Tyler Rudolph, guys that maybe you're hoping take that next step and turn that corner going into the summer or going into the preseason, but we really haven't gotten a chance to see those guys yet. One spot that really has not been addressed this spring, and and uh, I'd imagine it will be it will get certainly be able to glean a lot of, of from Saturday, assuming they do some specialist work. Uh, kick returner Sean, because because you, you know last year Lamont Wade really filled that role nicely. You know, capped capped off his career with a, a touchdown return against Illinois. Um, he's moved on. You had Devin Ford involved there a bit last year. Kevon Lee was on the depth chart there at the end of the season. But usually it's kind of a cluster of guys working at kick returner. I'm sure there'll be four, five, six um, if we get a chance to see that. Um, I just don't really know what that list looks like right now, and it's not something that's come up in any of these phone calls. So something else to kind of pay attention to. You got an offense to put in this spring, so kick return can go on the back burner for now. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Joe Laurie would not appreciate me saying that, but uh, yeah, I think that for the most part, it will the, not be Micah Parsons. It will not. So. Oh, thank you. There God. goes the fun. I'm, I'm the fun. Yes, uh, we missed <laughs> we missed those stories. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. I think that the, the, the focus is going to be on offense and defense. Um, you know, they do work on special teams in the spring, but not, uh, with the, uh, emphasis that it, that it comes on in preseason. Um, so we just probably reeled off what 80, 80 guys to, to, the, to watch. The important so. thing is we name everybody. So that way next week when we or Saturday, when we come back, we say, Oh, we talked about him earlier in the week. Yeah. <laughs> One other thing I will caution our listeners on. There may be guys that we don't get to on Saturday, and, and, and there may be guys that we don't see on Saturday. Guys are banged up. We don't know who's getting you – know, this is not a game. You're not getting out there and playing a Big Ten football game. So the, the, the may not be – There's no certain, reason to play the risk. Right. Yes. The, the, and we know Noah McCain. That's a situation. You're not going to see him. But we don't know who's kind of you know tweaked their ankle this week in practice or who has some kind of shoulder pain. You're not going to push it right now at the end of spring camp. You want these guys to, to get into the rest of the offseason feeling healthy. So there may be some missing components, guys we may have mentioned here uh, that, that we don't get a chance to see. But, but we'll find out in, in due time, and, and we'll do our best with two pairs of binoculars to, to bring you all that we can from this experience in Beaver Stadium. Um, the one thing that will certainly be missing in Beaver Stadium, Sean, is the recruiting component that has been, uh, you know, goes hand in hand with the end of spring football. Um, 2018, I think Penn State had 150 plus prospects on campus from a few different classes when the official visit period extended into the spring. That became a, a big part that you folded into the to the spring game and, and the end of these spring practices. Um, it's still weird that we're that we're moving toward this, and it's, I know it's not a spring game; it's not even a spring scrimmage. It just feels like something's missing, doesn't it, when, when there's not the recruiting component to this whole deal? It does. And especially when you see Florida State had like 100 kids on campus last week uh, because their spring game is, essentially was an open door policy and anybody could walk in. Well, they still you know, got a bunch of recruits on campus and didn't interact with them, quote unquote. Uh, but uh, <laughs> they certainly – that's a presence that you would like to see. Yeah. Um, and – We'll jump into a little more uh, on the good old blue and white game here on our five-star mailbag because, um, Sean, you've experienced a bunch of the real deal blue and white games where there's 70,000 plus people. There's a bunch of tailgating. Um, I've, I've experienced 
fewer. Uh, I've only got three under my belt at this point in my career covering Penn State. Um, but the mailback question here is, what are some spring game memories that stand out from covering the Nittany Lions over the years? Um, I'll, let, I'll let you start this out. You've got a, a much deeper well to reach into. I mean, blue-white games are uh, – very early in my career, I learned to not read into them a ton. I, obviously, the one came before I started covering was Eric Heffelfinger in, in 2002 where he, I think, uh, had 90-some yards, a walk-on running back, 90-some yards. A uh, great opportunity for him to come out and show it, but uh, obviously never translated into the game. But uh, it was fun. I mean, it's been fun to cover that game because there's not a ton of pressure there on us, at least, to um, you know try and take too much out of it. And once I got over that hurdle of of trying to figure out, okay, this really doesn't matter that much, and the players approach it as such, and the, some of the coaches approach it as such, um, it changed a lot of things. Um, it it was funny to me to see a situation like when Paul Jones threw two touchdowns to Shawnee Kersey. Um, those were two guys that. Uh, one of them, I think Paul Jones, I think Scout has a five star. I was never really a big Paul Jones guy. Like I, I saw him at camp one year and I'm like, this is, I'm not sure that we're watching the same guy. Um, and it never really did come around for him, unfortunately. He was a nice kid, but, uh, it was, uh, one of those things where you thought you were seeing, uh, just stardom coming out of each of these guys because Kersey was an incredible athlete. He was a former Rutgers commit. I don't know if you crossed with Shawnee Kersey. That was a long time ago. That's when I was actually recruiting. And yes, I remember Shawnee Kersey. Yes. Uh, tremendously talented uh, physically just, uh, but yeah, there, there was uh, just other things that kept him off the field. And uh, he threw two touch or Jones threw two touchdowns at Kersey. You thought, okay, this is your hookup for the next couple of years. Of course, it never came to, uh, it came to uh, fruition on the field when things switched to O'Brien, O'Brien hated the blue white game. Uh, this was never a secret. And then, uh, I think in his second year, I believe it was, uh, 2013, Zach Zwinak broke his wrist, um, in the blue white game. Uh, that was a quite an interesting conversation because, uh, O'Brien didn't have the depth on his roster to do a full game. So they had to change things, some things with the scoring and they still lost their starting running back to an injury. So you can imagine, give, if you watched Hard Knocks, you probably get a good idea of how Bill O'Brien handled that whole situation. And then of course, Franklin comes in. Um, they try and make it a little bit more of a party atmosphere. It's been really cool to see the crowds over the year because it wasn't an afterthought by any stretch, but as things sort of built up. You saw some big crowds, I think 80,000 north of 80,000 or something like that. So that's always been cool to watch. Um, I, I think back to the last blue white game that we covered, uh, Dan Chisena getting the uh, scholarship offer, things like that. Good thing cool. he caught that ball. Yeah, I mean, right? would he have? Would, would Franklin have still ran out with the microphone and said, "You're on scholarship if he dropped that pass?" From I Willis? think he probably would have called a different <laughs> play for him eventually because yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know that you can recover from that. Um, but no, just cool moments like that. I know they've had some some things that have worked out in the past, but I just I've never been one to get up too much for the blue white game. It's it's actually to be honest with you, it's always been more of a recruiting event for me because that's the stuff that matters at that point. So, um, but as far as on the field game goes, I mean, it's the third quarter and you're barely watching the game anymore. So that's kind of the way that I've approached it in the last, uh, Oh, 15 years that I've covered the game. So, uh, it's, it's fun. It's great to get out there. It's great to tailgate. And, and hopefully we get back to that next year and, and everything's cool with, uh, with how the things come back around. But, um, I don't think you're missing too much with the, the actual gameplay of the blue white game. I, I, always get like a sense with spring games 
Penn State or on other campuses, it almost feels a little bit like opening day of baseball. Like everything's ahead of you. You can kind of wash away what, what you last saw on the field from the program the fall before. Push the reboot button a little bit. Hope springs eternal, I guess, at the start of these at, at spring camps because giving everybody the benefit of the doubt, you're assuming – Everything you see on the practice field and positive is going to translate in September. Uh, if you're a fan and, or if you're just trying to, to glean too much from the spring game, you know you think you can say, okay, what I saw here in mid-April, that's going to apply to what we see in conference competition five, six months down the line. Certainly not that simple. I know my first trip to campus uh, ever was the 2017 spring game. It was my first time in Beaver Stadium, first time meeting a lot of the colleagues and speaking to a lot of the players and coaches here at Penn State. And just for instance, that game, Jonathan Holland had eight catches. He was the the leading receiver for everybody at Penn State. Didn't come together for him at any point at tight end for Penn State. Uh, he moved on. Tommy Stevens was a main topic in the post game that day because he went out there. I think he threw three touchdowns, and people were really talking about him clearly being the heir apparent at quarterback and, and, and being a special talent. And by the way, Lamont Wade, um, an early enrolled freshman, if I recall correctly, was on the cover of the Daily Collegian uh, for his first spring game a few months after enrolling, you know, really building up that, that hype train, uh, him coming in as a as a highly rated uh, recruit. So it, it just kind of think back to that. And I'm like, a lot of stuff gets proven wrong long term. A lot of stuff gets dispelled. But in that moment, it feels like there's a lot of possibilities and it feels like they're kind of endless. And I will say one of the cool things that we won't get a chance to see this Saturday was the introduction of the freshman classes. Some of the guys are wearing their uniforms because they enrolled early. A lot of them are in street clothes. They're just there kind of enjoying the day, building bonds. Um, and there's just a lot of excitement on their faces. And, and I look back to Micah Parsons' introduction, Sean, in 2018, that April, and it just felt like, wow, he made it. Like, he made it. The Penn State fans made it. It's actually happening. He's in a Penn State uniform. Everybody loves each other because you thought about all the roller coaster ride of 2017 and where – Penn State fans, you know, had a, and Micah Parsons had an on and off again relationship. Uh, but that was like, well, there you are at the finish line. We'll see what happens next. But to see him in that Penn State uniform, getting a standing ovation, that's one thing that that's that kind of sticks in my mind when I look back uh, over the recent years. Well, just the general aspect of the the excitement and the anticipation. I mean, you're. Uh, what four and a half months away from playing your first game, so you're zero and zero right now. It's okay to be optimistic. It's okay to think, uh, okay, this guy might be the guy that gets us over the hump. I think back to 2005. I was in in I was at Penn State at that point, and uh, Derek Williams and Justin King had just signed with Penn State and rolled early. They were going to be in the blue white game, so it was uh, it was it, there was some buzz there, and that's something that. You know, I didn't have. Uh, I actually came in from the parking lot and stopped drinking to come into the game because there was some buzz there about these guys uh, signing with Penn State and doing their first thing. They got you to stop drinking and go watch them. I mean, that's, uh, that's a serious. A, that's buzz. as good of an endorsement as as I could <laughs> give those guys. I mean, now I, th- I think it was called off in the third quarter due to lightning or thunderstorm or something like that. But just to get that sort of hope and that sort of anticipation is is always great and it's uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with with optimism and and hope and and I know we um you know are down on some guys at times on this podcast but you know the, the there's certainly nothing wrong with with feeling good about your team in the spring and I think that's really what the blue white game has has always been about 
And I also don't want to make it sound like any impressive performance in the spring game should be just tossed aside as, as meaningless because there's guys who have gone out, had big spring games. You know, Matt Kippen hammered a couple touchdowns a few years ago. Didn't come together for him at Penn State at receiver. But there's been some spots. That's, I mean, That's the example you go with. <laughs> well, I was I was throwing one more on the pile of, of – but I, I, I do remember Trace, Noah Trace, came- Trace was really good. When he – in his first blue-white game as starter or whatever, he, was, he came out and was really good. And that was, you know – a precursor of, of things that eventually did did come through for him. So, I mean, you can take – you have – I mean, it's not – you're not going to go out there, have a great blue-white game, and that automatically means you're, you're going to be nothing when the season rolls around. I think that's what you're trying to say here. It's You can you can have optimism based on some of these yes. performances. Just it's not the be-all, end-all of, of your evaluation of these players. Time will tell, and, and sometimes you look back and say, well – that was a nice practice session, essentially. Long run didn't tell us much about the player and what he was going to do at Penn State. But there's times where you say, well, maybe that guy turned a corner that day or, or, or maybe he finished a really strong spring and set himself up with some momentum. And I think back to 2019, Sean, Noah Kane getting a lot of work with the reserve group on offense against the first team and second team defense that day. I think he had 15-some touches. And it was just early indications this kid was ready to run hard found a way to turn those three-yard gains into five-yard gains. And, and that's one that, that held up, you know, months later. And you, you saw it early in the spring game, and you understood why Noah Kane was in a position to succeed six, seven months down the line when things got serious and, and Big Ten teams were coming to town. Yeah, that's and that's that's what you hope to get out of it, really. I mean, it's not going to be a be-all, end-all type thing, but you can you can take some of these, how they looked. And, and to be honest with you, it's it's always been funny because it's one of 15 practices and everybody, you know, on the outside labels it as the most important. And in reality, it's probably the exact opposite outside of the uh, the, the modified stretching practices that they have to start the uh, the spring. It's, it, it's not that important in the grand scheme of things. Um, well, you, we just threw a ton your way. Um, that was a lot longer is, than how, we expected, yeah. How unimportant it is, why you should be, be invested in the performances, why you should completely uh, cross them off. And so now that we've confused you, um, and we're still a bit confused ourselves about what we're going to see on Saturday, um, but we will be there to see it. We will bring it uh, to, uh, a post-game coverage your Don't way. Don't call with it a podcast. post-game show. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, post-practice coverage coverage with a podcast and we'll, we'll give you um, stuff up on the message boards on lines 24 7 updates along the way um, and and we'll learn what, what's going on through this together um, but Sean anything else to add we, we've kind of jammed a, a bunch into this uh, episode but um, you know it's just it's nice to get to this point where they did it you know they got through spring practices uh, we got to talk about it we got to talk to a ton of players and coaches and I'm just reminded that we are gaining some distance from last spring when it was a whole lot of nothing going on. And right now we've been able to learn a lot more about this team since mid-March. And now we'll actually get to watch them play and learn a little bit more. But um, you know, this is all setting up for you know, the camps in June, the official visits. I mean, it just it just feels good. It feels normal. And that's the word we've been we've been looking for. I just can't wait to get back in the press box and see what kind of uh, improvements they've made since I was last there in 2019. They have removed the buffet, and uh, that's probably about the only difference the, from, from what you have seen. We'll find out together on Saturday. For Sean, I'm Tyler. This is the Alliance 24-7 podcast. We'll talk to you real soon.